The scripture reading is from Philippians 2, 1 through 11. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one of mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. And your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This passage is a selection from one of the letters that the Apostle Paul wrote to the early church. And the main point of these verses is that the way we interact with each other, the way that we relate to others around us, ought to be changed by our understanding of two major events in redemptive history. They're just kind of two movements of God's grace in saving us that if we understand these things and we embrace these and they, if these events become part of our story, wow, this can change everything, change our friendships, change our families, change our marriages, can change our church, these, these, these two events of God. And these two events are God the Son's decision to humble himself and God the Father's decision to exalt the Son. The, the self-humbling of Christ and his exaltation by the Father can shape the way we relate to others in our world. So let me just talk you through those two events. First, let's talk about the self-humbling of Christ. Verse 5 and 6 in today's passage says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Now, th this, these verses are a clear reference to the divinity of Jesus Christ. Jesus, Jesus Christ, the Bible teaches, is God, God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, equal with the Father in power and in glory. Jesus the Son, God the Son, together with the Father and the Holy Spirit, has from all eternity reigned and ruled as one God, infinite, eternal, unchangeable. Jesus Christ is God. When he became incarnate by, in, in the womb of the Virgin Mary, he made a decision in, in a certain sense just to set aside all the, 
all the privileges, all the power, all the glory that are attached to divinity. Verse 7 says it this way. It says, He made Himself nothing. Various versions of the Bible translate that phrase in different ways. What one Bible says, He emptied Himself. One says, He poured Himself out. The, the old King James says, He made Himself of no reputation. Another Bible says, He gave up His divine privileges. And all, all of these are, are, are ways of telling us that without ceasing to be God, Christ willingly confined Himself to all the, all the limitations, all the weaknesses, all the common indignities of having a human body. And, and that's just, this is an amazing thought to contemplate. They, they tell us that there are 100,000 million stars in our galaxy, 100 billion stars in our galaxy alone. And there are millions upon millions of other galaxies out there. This is a, just an, an immense universe. They, they tell us that the light from the farthest galaxy that we are able to detect with our technology, beyond that, we don't know what's out there beyond that, but the light from the farthest galaxy we can see takes over 13 billion years to reach us here. Colossians 1 verse 16 says, all of that, all of that was created through the Son and for the Son. It all exists for Him. He Hebrews 1 verse 3 says that by His word of power, the Son sustains or holds together the entire universe. It's His word of power that holds everything together. He is God. But when He took on human flesh, He willingly just divested himself of all the privileges of divinity and he adopted all the frailties, all the limitations of being a human being. So in the Gospels, you often read of, of Christ experiencing very human examples of weakness and limitation. Matthew chapter 1 at 21 says that he got hungry. John chapter 4 talks about him getting thirsty. In Luke chapter 8, we read one, of one occasion where he got tired and he took a nap. He had to take a nap. He, he just, he, he became completely human, or as it says in the middle of verse 7, he was made in human likeness. So he was made a human. What kind of human? What kind of human did he become? Was he a wealthy man? Was he a powerful person? Uh, was he born into a royal family? No. The, the old Westminster Shorter Catechism says this, he was born in a low condition. A low condition. His family was poor. His parents were commoners. In, in John chapter 1, when someone heard the name of the town that Jesus came from, their reaction was to say, Nazareth? Can, can anything good come from there? It's almost the equivalent of being raised in a trailer park or, park or, or born in the projects. In other words, he came from a place where powerful people never went. Powerful people did not reside there. That's where he came from. Mark, Mark chapter 6 says that when he went back to his hometown and he tried to preach there, they wouldn't listen to him because 
They had seen him grow up. They said, isn't this the carpenter's son? This is the kid we saw running around the construction site with his dad. He's nothing special. He was not elite. He was not from the upper echelons. When Jesus spoke, oh, he spoke with power. He spoke with authority. But, but there was something about the way he spoke. Was it his grammar? Was it his accent? There was something about the way he spoke that when he spoke, people could automatically tell he did not have a formal education. John 7, verse 15, when they heard him spoke, they were amazed. They said, how did this man get such learning, having never been educated? They could just tell by the way he talked. That guy never went to school. This is the, the, the condition into which God the Son came into this world. He did, listen, verse 7 says, he took the very nature of a servant, not the nature of a king, not the nature of a ruler, not the nature of a billionaire, right? the nature of a servant. Literally, the word in Greek is slave. He came as the lowest of the low. Back in the days of the Vietnam War, there was a protest song recorded by a group called Credence Clearwater Revival, and this song was decrying the fact that most of the young men who were drafted and sent off to fight that war were kids from poor and working class families. If you were a rich kid, if you were a college boy, if your parents had connections, there were ways for you to avoid the draft. But if you were from a poor family, you know, you went off to die in the mud. And, and so this song was decrying that. And the name of the song was Fortunate Son. These are some of the words. Some folks are born made to wave the flag. They're red, white, and blue. But when the band plays Hail to the Chief, Lord, they point the cannon at you. Some folks inherit star-spangled eyes. They send you down to war. And when you ask them, how much should we give? They only answer, more, more, more. It ain't me. It ain't me. I ain't no senator's son. It ain't me. It ain't me. I ain't no fortunate one. Those words could have been spoken about Jesus. He was poor. He was powerless. He was not a fortunate one. So this is what we see. God, the eternal Son, the one through whom and for whom everything was created, humbled himself first by being born. Just being a human was humiliation enough. Being born and then secondly, born into a poor family and then we also see he humbled himself by being obedient, by willingly submitting himself to his Father's will, obeying the Father's will even up to the point of dying on a cross. It says here, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Why, why, why does the apostle add that even death on a cross? You think any death is bad. Why even death on a cross? I'll tell you why. Because Roman crucifixion, they tell us, it was a form of execution that was so, listen, it was so physically horrifying and it was so psychologically degrading. Just the thought that the Romans might do that was, was powerful enough just to, to terrorize entire communities. It was unspeakably brutal. Isaiah chapter 52 verse 14 speaks prophetically about 
the death of the Messiah on the cross, it says this, many were appalled at him. His appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being and his form marred beyond human likeness. He was so twisted and beaten and crushed and bloody. You had to look two or three times to say, is that a human there? Is that a person? This was the death that he obediently, willingly chose as he came to do the Father's will. So this is what we're told. God, the eternal Son, took on human flesh, was born of low estate, and died on a cross. He humbled himself. No wonder. <laughs> would, you, would you agree with me? No wonder. When the apostle heard that, I guess there were some kind of petty rivalries going on in the church in Philippi, and there were these kind of childish conflicts taking place. No wonder he says to the people, guys, cut it out. Don't, what are you thinking? Don't put yourselves first. Don't elevate your own self, your own, your own preferences. You can't do that. You understand. Not if you're going to follow Jesus. Do you remember who Jesus is? Do you know the path he'll lead us down? So he says in verse 3 and 4, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. One author uh, writing about how this verse, these verses can impact our life together as a church wrote this, only when we begin to comprehend the full extent of what the self-emptying Christ has done for us will we be motivated to imitate His humility in all our relationships. To have such humility, we must keep the cross before us every day. In the shadow of the cross, there's no room for sinful pride and selfish ambition. So our relationships can be impacted by these two events in redemptive history. The first is that, is that God the Son humbled Himself. The second is that God the Father exalted the Son. Verse 9 through 11 says this, Therefore God exalted Him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. A few years ago, I, uh, I'm not sure why I did this, but I, I decided to conduct a very informal uh, research study on my own. I was on this kick where for several months when I would be talking with people, I would, I would say, listen, I'm doing a study. I, I want to ask you one question, if you would answer it for me. And the question I would ask people was this. How many of your great-grandparents can you name for me right now off the top of your head? All right, so every, every one of us has eight great-grandparents. Every human being, three generations back, we descend from eight individuals, four men, four women. So I'd say, listen, without calling your grandma to ask her, without going online, how many of your great-grandparents could you name for us? Now, maybe you could name all of them. There are probably some cultures in this world where they really care about their ancestors. They could tell us. But I was surprised. I asked people from all different backgrounds, different ethnicities, and... Um, I think the most anyone could tell me was four. But most people say, two, 
I think I could name one. Remember, one guy said, I couldn't name any of them. So, this is the conclusion I drew from my informal research. We are not as important as we think we are. <laughs> None of us. Just, just think about it. it. If you live in the United States of America, I don't care what great school you went to, it doesn't matter how good of a job you have or how much money you earn, it doesn't really matter how successful you are in your generation. Isn't this, doesn't this kind of humble you? Three generations from now, members of your own family won't even remember you, right? Which, just put things in perspective, we get all caught up in competing with each other to show who's the most important, who's the most successful. Guys, we will not be remembered. But, at the end of human history, there is one name that will be on the lips of everyone. Every demon in hell, every angel in heaven, every human being who ever walked this planet will be speaking the name of one person, a Galilean carpenter who died a slave's death on a cross. The Father has exalted the Son. He's exalted Jesus. God raised him from the dead. He ascended into heaven. He is now seated at the right hand of God the Father, which is a metaphor saying he right now shares all the authority of God over this universe. And one day, he will come back again to judge the world, to make all things new, to establish his kingdom, and to reign forever. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, students of the Old Testament will, t will hear in those verses an echo of some words from the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah 55, verse 23, says that one day every knee will bow before Yahweh. Jehovah God. And every tongue will swear by the name of Yahweh, Jehovah God. And here the apostle says those truths that apply to Yahweh, they're speaking about Jesus. All the praise given to eternal God will be poured out upon him, laid at his feet, Jesus. Ephesians 1, verse 20 to 22 says, God raised Christ Jesus from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything. Now, when you think about that, just... Think of how silly it is for us to argue with each other and compete with each other over who's the most important and who's right and who's wrong. I mean, just how, just how, isn't it just absurd that we would compete for glory when all glory is going to Jesus? None of it for, it's all for him. It, no wonder the apostle said to the, the, the Philippians, he said, verse 2, make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit, one in mind. Why? Because Jesus Christ has been exalted to the highest place. Now, here's what's amazing. 
In fact, this is what gives me goosebumps, all right? All this glory will be given to the Son, to Jesus. And yet, the Bible says, 2 Thessalonians 2.14, we have been called by the gospel so that we might share in Christ's glory with him. He will share his glory with us. I mean, if you think about that, it just kind of sets you free from this, this feeling like you have to prove your worth and, and show how important you are and somehow prove that you're a success. Well, listen, why would we ever feel like we have to grasp for glory when he's going to give his glory to us? There's just no more reason for that kind of competitiveness or, 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 or selfishness. Romans 8 verse 17 says that we are God's children and therefore we are co-heirs with Jesus of the kingdom. The same kingdom that's given to him, the Bible says, will be given to us. 2 Timothy 2 verse 12 says if we endure, we will reign with him. Imagine, you know, metaphorically, we will sit on the throne with the Savior and rule the world together with him. So just, my goodness, why in the world would we fight over who's getting the most attention, who's getting the most, you know, the most credit, who's, whose preferences are, are being followed? I mean, just, wow, how trivial um, all of our petty arguments and personal competitions and all our ego contests, how trivial these will appear on the day when every knee, every knee bows before Jesus. And he says to us, come enter the joy of your master. He'll say, why in the world was I worried about winning that argument? <laughs> Does it even matter now? So here's my invitation for you, and I think it arises from this text. I'm just inviting you in your relationships with others, maybe in your family, maybe in some friendships, maybe in, in, in church, in your relationships with others. I'm just inviting you. Would you ask God to help you to follow the path of the humble one? To, to, let, to let Jesus, his example of humility and his promise of glory be that which just shapes the way you relate with others around you. And I, I don't know, what would that look like for you? What, how, would that, how might that change your, your interactions with others? God will show you that if you, if you invite him to. If you say, God, just I, I, want you, I, I want the humility of my Savior to shape my character and, and just to, to determine the way that I interact and respond to others. And I want, Lord, I want his promise of glory to satisfy me so deeply that I never feel like I have to prove my worth by getting my own way. I'm just set free from that. You know, I believe God would do that for us if we'd ask him. The word says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, 
every knee should bow. Would you bow your head with me now, and let's pray to the Father. Father, we thank you for the truth of this story and how it impacts us, that the eternal Son humbled himself because we are loved by you and that you exalted him that he might receive all glory and all honor and that our joy someday will be to see him crowned and adored and to share in his joy. We pray that that story of your redemption will become our story that it will so shape the way we understand ourselves and our future, that it will, it will impact the way we relate with people this week, that by your mercy and by your grace, we might follow the path of the humble one. In his name, amen.